Welcome back to the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to make us part of your listening experience. We're starting an Out of the Vault series featuring sessions from the 2018 Pastors Conference that TCSC hosts every year. You're gonna hear messages from Jim Cimbala, who's written numerous books and pastors the famous Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, as well as from Pastor Gary Wilkerson and our very own Ron Brown. Today, we're tuning into the second session from Pastor Jim Cimbala. Listen in, be blessed, and thank you for choosing the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. Ask God for authority and direction and, and clarity so people know what we're talking about. Amen? Amen. You gotta listen to yourself sometime and say, can you follow it yourself? Um, and what, what are the people getting out of it? Because it's for the people and they have to understand it. And you have to meet the people where they are. That's why Jesus told parables. So if people don't understand what I'm saying or you're saying, I don't care if it's doctrinally sound and it sounds great to you, it cannot be edifying because the people aren't getting it. It's for the people. Preaching is not a, um, an art form. It's simple communication of the good news of Jesus to get it into people's hearts. <clears throat> if Jesus wanted eloquence and, and great speaking ability, although some have that gift, um, he wouldn't have chosen fishermen and tax collectors to represent him. Because all they knew was to talk simply and conversationally um, about whatever they were speaking on. You have to be prepared and realize that God has to make the sermon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the sermon, they that labor and preach, they preach in vain. The best book I ever read about preaching um, in my life, I'm still going through it. It's a massive tome. And it's uh, interesting because it never tells you how to preach. It's, it's, it's an amazing book. I've had the privilege of meeting the man who wrote it, who's so brilliant. He works up at Trinity Seminary there north of Chicago. His name, um, escapes me right now, it'll come to me as I'm speaking. But his name of his book is The Company of Preachers. The Company of Preachers. Have you ever seen that book? What? Yeah. But do you have that book? Yeah. It's so interesting because starting with the New Testament era and then going through, especially it gets good around the Reformation, he just does these thumbnail sketches of these great preachers and things, nuggets that they said and, and how they prepared. And he mentions a couple sermons. And he's doing this on and on about people in Scotland, people in England, people uh, in every kind of place, every different, some well-known preachers, some you and I wouldn't know about, but interesting to learn about them, what obstacles they faced, what sicknesses they had to battle against. Uh, very good. But they have nuggets about these guys just opening themselves. And he has a phenomenal sense of humor, dry sense of humor, so 
he'll pick out these nuggets. Well, one guy said something that I think is applicable to all centuries. One guy said, well-known preacher, used of God, talking about when he first started preaching. He said, whenever I didn't have anything to say, I just started yelling. <laughs> I grew up around that. Anybody ever grow up around that? You know, just have no idea what I'm saying, but shout glory, amen, praise God. David Larson, thank you. Yeah, I had a meal with David Larson and he came and spoke at our church, just, just brilliant. I mentioned the book just, it might be a blessing to you, might inspire you. But when we're preaching, you have to be, just like we were talking about how they never knew they would preach, I would suggest to you to contemplate the idea. I'm no one to give you orders, uh, but I would, I would suggest to you to really consider the fact alone with God, how natural you're speaking. Because anytime you lose, leave your personality, you usually leave the Holy Spirit's anointing. God never anoints actors. If you want acting, go to Broadway. Come to New York. I'll get you tickets. You can go see something on Broadway. And many times in church now, we've developed acting. Acting. It can be mystical and quiet, or it can be clever, cute, or it can be, well, praise God. Come on. Somebody bless God here. Hey, dude, I know you don't talk like that. I just had lunch with you, and you never talked like that the whole time we had lunch. Am I correct or not? But listen, we take this in with our mother's milk. And depending on how you grew up and what you saw at church, remember, the big battle in preaching or serving God is to escape your background. So now listen, listen, listen to me. I grew up in a little drug-to-church, uh, legalistic Pentecostal church by my parents. And there were some good things mentioned there. And they did stress Jesus, and they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. But they wouldn't want a black person within 100 yards of that church. So what should I do? Follow the tradition of my elders, of my, of my people? No, they were racist. A lot of churches are racist. That's the, that's the whole evil thing about target groups. Where would you find that in scripture? Not just racial targets and economic, but generational targets. We only want, I just heard of two people who have been let go from the praise and worship team because they got too old. They hit 38. <gasps> How dare you get to 38 years old? The optics don't fit now. Do, did anyone ask questions about gifting? Do they lead people into God? Are they gifted? No, that's not asked. It's optics. It's the way you do church now. My foot. That, 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 that'll never bring the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You're just going to have performance. But, and, and that's acting with worship too, you know. I get uncomfortable when people are doing hand and motions and all this stuff. 
If you sing like that at home, praise God, then do it. But if you're performing because you're in front and we're doing worship now, God sees through that. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the truth there means in sincerity, not just truth, the truth, the word of God, obviously. But so anytime you affect anything, you affect your voice, you affect an emotion. Anytime you act anything. We lose. When I first went in the ministry, that was a huge battle for me. Huge. You don't know how huge. My wife has had battles all her life with shyness. Very shy. Painfully shy when, when we first started. But I wasn't trained to be a pastor. I was, I was breaking people's ankles and shaking baking at the top of the key. Hey, I'll put you down. Boom, boom, boom. So now, behind, behind the pulpit, so about six months in, in the ministry, driving home, I said to my wife, like, uh, how am I doing? Because she was ahead of me that time because she was a pastor's daughter, so on and so forth. So um, she said, I said, how do you think I'm you know, doing? I was so nervous, so insecure. I was just trying to get through, listen, I was just trying to get through a meeting. You know, did I care about the people? Not so much. I didn't, didn't think about them. I was thinking about me getting through without fumbling and bumbling. So I said, how do you think I'm doing? She said, the truth. Whenever your wife says the truth, <laughs> it ain't gonna be good, it's not gonna be good. I said, yeah, the truth. She said, horrible. I said, why? She said, because that's not you. You're trying to protect yourself. You're afraid to be vulnerable. See, I couldn't believe that I could speak conversationally. I don't have a great speaking voice. I can only speak conversationally. I couldn't believe God could use that. I thought I had to be a preacher. So whatever I conjured up in my mind that I saw growing up, I tried to act like, you know, a preacher, you know, there's even like a preacher's voice that some people have. Have you ever noticed that? Like they'll talk to you and then they'll be like normal and then the minute they get up here, it's like, praise God. <laughs> we're laughing, we're laughing, but we all got to guard against that. That was a huge battle for me, huge battle. But listen, look, I, wanna, I, I, I came here, I believe God wanted me to come here. I want to encourage you. God's going to use you the way you are. He, only, he made you the way you are. If he wanted you to be someone else, he would have made you someone else. He made us the way we are. That's all. That's the only way God can use you. And whether it's white churches or Pentecostal or Baptist or black churches, or Hispanic churches, all that, we get these traditions that we've been around and it affects us. And it's gonna hinder the gospel. The Holy Spirit is gonna be grieved because he's saying, that's not you. How am I gonna help you when you don't act like you? You're pretending to be somebody else. So, I mean, can anybody imagine like uh, 
Peter on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and the crowd gathered and all of that, that he would say, guys, you know, I think, who should speak? No, Peter, you speak, okay. All right, so you, you stand behind me and we're going to do this okay. All right, so. Praise God, hallelujah, bless God. Jesus in the house, praise God. And, uh, <laughs> does anybody think he ever talked like that? Or Jesus? Or anybody? No, I'm talking about something real. Yeah. I feel so bad um, uh, for preachers who are struggling, sincere as can be, but they're copying the traditions they grew up around. And they don't even know it. It's unconscious. They're totally unnatural. You meet them at lunch. You talk to them. They're one way. The minute they hit that pulpit, they change. Don't you think God notices that? Like, what are you doing? Just talk. Just talk. Just tell them. That's what, people don't want church. They don't want a performance. They, they, they need Jesus. They want reality. So one other thing just before I mentioned about the gospel um, without the Holy Spirit's help, we're not going to be effective. All in favor, say amen. amen. Okay. So the main thing is to secure the Holy Spirit's help. Right? Through prayer and through preaching the word that he inspired. Because he will not help us if you're preaching stuff he never said. That follows. Right? So pastor is life coach and all that other silliness. You're not going to get the Holy Spirit's help. Right? So, so what I want to say on that is this. I'm standing in front of you now. If I project my personality or want to be glorified or noticed by you in any way, the Holy Spirit will leave me. Yeah. And he will go back over there and say, Jesus said when he comes, he will glorify me. And he will say, I was not sent to glorify Jim Simbola. So bye. When you want to get back to talking about Jesus, I'll come back and help you. But you're, 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 and listen, you, you see this mic or this mic or handheld. Those are drugs. Those are drugs for a lot of people. That's a drug. Some people in, have storefront churches. Pastor Gary and his wife know where on Fulton Street and DeKalb Avenue and all through Brooklyn. They don't care they have 25 people every Sunday. As long as they can hear themselves talk, they're down for it. They're going to perform as long as they can pay the bills. It's a drug. It's a way that you can just, I don't know, become a legend in your own mind or something, right? So... So the other thing is this, if I glorify the Brooklyn Tabernacle this coming Sunday or yesterday, the Holy Spirit says, nope, yeah. nope, I got to leave you now, yeah. you're on your own, talk about your church and all that stuff, I not, wasn't sent, I'm not glorifying the Brooklyn Tabernacle, you ain't all that, just you're on your own. God has raised us up to take Los Angeles and Brooklyn. Oh, nonsense. He hasn't raised you up to take the Los Angeles for God. Just be a church. 
and ask God to help you and root for other churches and don't take ourselves so serious. Can we all clap our hands together and say amen? You ever hear Paul saying that? You ever see, ever see Peter saying that? You ever think Peter saying, no, you gotta join our church now. Don't go down the road. Don't go down the road, okay? Church growth has really fed this and made it horrible. Because the goal for a lot of people now is not to win people to Christ. It's to build up their church so they look good. So they steal other members from other churches and the angels don't rejoice when people leave First Baptist to go to First Assembly or whatever the names are, right? And, and the Holy Spirit will not, will not be a part of that. And I need him. I don't know about you. I need him. I need him. Oh, without him, oh my goodness. I don't know what we would do, what I would do. So you can't glorify your church, and you can't glorify your, your, your denomination. And that's how people, I grew up around all that. Come on, some of you have too. What are you making a big thing about your denomination? It doesn't exist to God, don't you get it? There are no Baptists to God. There's just John the Baptist, he's in heaven. Leave him be, that's it, he's the only Baptist. There are no assemblies of God. There are no Pentecostal. There are no charismatics. I can prove it from the scriptures for there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. There's only one body. Come on, let's say amen to that. Let's say amen to that. So, and that will hurt us and grieve the spirit when you don't root for other churches and other groups and other races and other people and because God sees that and says, no, you're in this for yourself. And I wasn't sent to glorify you or your denomination or your five-point Calvinism or your Pentecostal distinctives. I was not sent to glorify any of that. Please keep it on Jesus and I will help you. True or not? Okay. So that's what we have to guard ourselves. We have to ask God to help us. I, I, re- I heard some, someone say this years ago, and you know, Pastor Gary, just lately I've been asking God to help me, is to preach with a consciousness only of God, aware of the people, but just preach in the presence of God. So that every sentence, God, you're happy with that one, aren't you? Every example, every application, everything, he's listening because you know what? He is. And at the end of the day, you got to report back to him. Okay? So that make you careful. That will make us more careful. You're still natural, but you're going to be careful because he's listening. You want to be pleasing to him. If you preach to please the people, you'll be seduced to saying stuff that's not true. So if we preach with the right goal, you know, one of the saddest things is some of these leaders of the church growth movement and of the emergent church, they're really doing tremendous damage to the body of Christ. I'm thinking of one now out of Atlanta who wrote a book about these principles and there's very little Jesus and Holy Spirit in it, but it's just technique. It's methodology. It's It's just silly. Listen, I was with my friend Rabbi Zacharias in Hong Kong some years ago. There were about 700 pastors from mainland China, half of whom had been in prison, 
that, and, and, and that Christianity is growing faster in China now than in any country in the world. There's like millions of Christians, right? right? I met a guy, he's on crutches. He's over one of these secret fellowships, networks. I don't even know how it works. And my friend pointed him out to me, and I hugged him, and he actually visited our church one day. He's over 10 million Christians. His fellowship that he helps oversee. But you can't hardly oversee it because nobody knows who's who. No one knows names. You don't know the name of the believer even in your own town because if you're arrested, you could give it up. So to say this is the way you do church, just never believe that. Never believe that. you got to find your own way in your own personality with the people where God has placed you. Right? Not getting any love up here. What, am I right here? Right? All right. So, so this guy said in this book, when I walk out and I see somebody visiting for the first time in the third row, and I see him on the aisle, he's here for the first time. I only have one thought for the rest of the meeting. Only one thought. It consumes me. That's all I ever think about. That the lights, the praise and worship, the songs, the message, everything leads to just one thing. I got to get him back next week. That, that's a title change. No one's ever thought like that for 2,000 years. People have thought, no, I got to get him to Jesus. And I got to get him today because he might die this week and never visit church again. But you see what that's centered on? It's centered on building up my image by having more people. And then you, you lose God and you lose the people. But if you do it God's way, aren't there enough sinners here in California that you all can work on them? <laughs> on, the, on the freeway with my brother yesterday, there are a bunch of sinners running around here. I know that. Right? Am I right, Ron? No, it's the truth. And in New York, I, we should be... We have no shortage of a mission field, which leads us... Which leads us to this. Which leads us to this. So that, that's important. I've learned that. I, and I've made so many mistakes. I'm preaching now, not just from the word of God, but from, obviously, things I've learned and mistakes I've made. Oh, goodness. Oh, Lord. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And God is patient with us. So... To preach with the right motive and have the Holy Spirit's help. Now, who, who, where will the Holy Spirit help us? What's the promise? So Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, Gentile. Are we together on that? Yes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he said. Not ashamed, I'm going to preach the gospel. So what is the gospel? Bear with me and don't dismiss me as being simplistic. God has dealt with me and continues to deal with me about this. So what is the gospel? Pastor, Jim, come on. I know the gospel. Okay, I don't want to argue with you, but um, a lot of us are just preaching stuff about Jesus that we heard growing up. Notice Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, the first few verses, 
We know, brethren, that you were chosen by God because our gospel came to you not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with great conviction. Notice the word he uses, our gospel. Why would he say our gospel? Because already at that time, there were other gospels that had Jesus in it. Don't you get it? Other gospels don't negate Jesus. They have Jesus, but it's not the true Jesus. Remember in 2 Corinthians, he says, I don't know what I'm going to do with you because you've received, the, you've received Jesus, but not the one I told you about. And you've received the gospel, but not the one I told you. And you've got another spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. What is that about? So, so, our gospel... Okay, so I told you what I heard growing up. It was mostly legalism, but there's enough Jesus in it, and I read a little verses as a kid that it was enough to get me to, the, to, to salvation. And, and I, I, my parents left, and I went to another church, my future father-in-law's church. I, I heard enough of the good news that I could believe in Jesus. So here's, what, here's your assignment, class. Between now and the end of March, here's your assignment. I'm going to come back and grade all your papers, okay? <laughs> Whoever wins gets a free trip to New York City and all the cheesecake you can eat, okay? <laughs> Read every sermon in the book of Acts, okay? Acts 2, every sermon. Peter, Acts 2. Peter, Acts 3. Peter, Acts 10. Paul, Acts 13. Paul, Acts 21, 22, when they almost kill him in Jerusalem. Paul before Felix, for Paul before Festus, okay? Take every sentence, analyze it by sentence. Don't read it through. Read it like you were doing grade school stuff. What's the subject? What's the verb? What's the object of every sentence? Now, I know that's the gospel because when Peter preached it, like 3,000 got saved. That's some heavy fruit. What do you think? So that's the one that has power. Notice, only our gospel, he says, has power. Not another gospel. And then ask yourself as you analyze every sermon, is this what I preach? Or have I added to it? Or have I subtracted to it from it? If you subtract from the gospel, you lose some of its power. If you add to it, you lose its power. You know, like, believe in Jesus, but you got to be circumcised. Paul says, anyone preaches that gospel, let him be cursed. We don't take that serious. They took it serious back then because they knew what Christ had to pay to, to uh, make the gospel possible. He said, let him be cursed. Am I correct here? I'm not over, overstating the case. You let him be cursed. So are you adding? Are we subtracting? Notice there's no join the church gospel like I was saying. At the end of the service, those of you who want to receive Christ and also come into fellowship with our church, which is very special because we've been raised up by God. There's nothing quite like the Brooklyn Tabernacle in all of New York City, but you know. <laughs> what can I say? That's not the gospel. I don't see church membership ever mentioned. Never. Show me. White, right-wing, Fox News gospel. Not there. You won't find it. Liberal, left-wing gospel. Won't find it. Look, 
I'm not that smart, but you read it. Find out if they ever mentioned those things. Black culture gospel. Blacks are special. And so on and so forth. White, white redneck gospel. <laughs> Why did I say something wrong? <laughs> you don't say redneck here? Do you? You don't say that? Whatever, you know what I mean. And that's in a lot of churches. That's in a lot of, of course that's in a lot of churches. How in the world would you have a church in a major city which is 95% white, your congregation, and the church is 50, and the city is all diverse? How, well, of course you planned it that way. Wait, wait, wait. You planned it that way. None of these things don't happen by accident. People of other races came in and sized it up and said, no, I'm not loved here. I'm moving on. Yeah. And the black churches, they're full of hate. We have members of our church who are, have black uh, Christ, so-called Christians in the city attacking them and saying, I can't believe that you sold out your race and you're going to church with the man as the pastor. You like that plantation over there with, pastor, with Master Jim? You like it? How do you think Carol and I feel when we hear that? Meanwhile, these guys only have 50 people in some storefront, but they rake in money off the poor people, and they have cars bigger than their auditoriums. That's a rule. If your car is bigger than your auditorium, something's wrong. I mean, say amen. It's not right. So, so no, notice a lot of the stuff. Repentance of sin. Sin is mentioned in the gospel. Repent of your sins. No, don't mention sin. People don't like to be told their lifestyle is wrong. They'll never come back. I'm not supposed to get them to come back. I'm supposed to tell them the truth as it is in Jesus. Where, where does it say I'm supposed to get them to come back? Where, where did you read that? Where did you read that? Because we're downtown and the choir especially has notoriety. They put the name of our church and the choir in, in, in the hotel brochures now in Manhattan. So we got all kinds of people, tourists coming in. And they don't mind the music and the swing and let's get down with that music and all. And then you preach the word and sometimes you can just feel that, that thing. And sometimes they'll walk out. And I've had to die to that because that's their way of protesting. We don't mind the music and God is love. Don't tell me I have to repent of anything. No, 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 no. Don't go there. Don't go there. Who are you to be so judgmental? You know all the, the code words that the media uses. You're, you hate speech and narrow-minded and it has to be Jesus. Yeah, it has to be Jesus. Well, who, how, how, how can you say that? I didn't say it. He said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I didn't make this stuff up. Amen? Some of you are not saying amen. So you can't take away anything or it'll lose its power. You can't add anything. You can't preach about to unbelievers about speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. They never preach. Show me one sermon where they preach at. Just show it to me. And I'll, are these things important to discuss with Christians and teach? Absolutely. I'm down for that. But not to unbelievers. And all that stuff, cultural stuff. Well, somebody say amen. I'm going to throw this microphone at you. Praise. What do you think a stranger is going to think of that? I'm like out of here. What are you crazy? What are you people crazy? Amen or no amen? amen? So, 
we have to not add and not subtract. And you know what? Listen to your sermons, and I'll close with this. I will debate with anybody here till 3 o'clock this into the night, into the morning, that Peter, James, and John, or Paul ever preach one sermon that wasn't about Jesus. No way. I got the New Testament. I got their sermons. I got their letters. Think of this. There's life only in his name. What are you taking up so much time with Ezekiel? Just let it go. Elijah and lessons from Elijah's life. That's fine. You want to preach from the Old Testament? Fine. But please quickly get to Jesus. Because listen. No, listen, listen. Listen, listen. Time out. Time out. There's life only in his name. He is the image of the invisible God. Don't you dare present a picture of God from this verse and that verse and this verse and that verse. Arminians do that and Calvinists too. The only picture of God, God wants us to know what he's like, so look at Jesus. What does God feel about women? What does God feel about children? What does God feel about poor people, lepers? Just look at Jesus, okay? Paul says we proclaim him, not it, not principles, him, him. For I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the demons don't tremble. Let's go further. When you say God, or King of Kings, or Creator of the universe, or one who inhabits eternity, they are not rocked by any of that. The power is in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's say amen to that. And I've said to some well-known Bible teachers whose names you would know, I've discussed this with David Jeremiah down in San Diego, Tony Evans, who's a friend, and all these different people of all different denominations. I said, come on, fess up. Haven't we done series, you know, in the Old Testament especially? And we never got to Jesus. So, so last Sunday, someone was up in the balcony let's say in my church, they just tested positive HIV or got cancer thing or some whatever, and they think that this is it. And they're gonna come, and they, I might never talk to them again, and I'm not gonna tell them about Jesus, because I'm doing a study on where the Amorites came from. I don't care, I don't care. No? Think of the hobby horses that we go off on. And we're talking about stuff that like. Jesus. It's harder to preach about Jesus because you gotta spend time with him. You gotta represent him. You gotta ask the Holy Spirit to make him real to the people. I'm not against, so don't misquote me or misinterpret me. Read, you know, study wherever you want to study and preach whatever God lays upon your heart. Here's a good thing Warren Wiersbe, the well-known expositor, told me. No matter what series you begin, Jim, if you feel the anointing leaves you on that series, stop the series no matter what you told the people. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Don't finish it and put everyone to sleep right. and, and kill them. Just, it's not, it's not happening. So ask God to restart. So... 
But whatever we're preaching, the, the life of David, fine. But then show that David, we got to show that David was the type of Jesus. Jesus was son of David. David's life by itself isn't going to help a soul. Jesus is the only one and the cross, listen, and the blood, and the power of the Spirit, and that he's coming again, the new covenant, which is different from the old. And I plead with you, don't select verses from the Old Testament and hammer them down the people's throats if they're not mentioned in the New Testament. No command, no promise in the Old Testament is where the prosperity people are going totally off. They're taking promises that were given to Israel in the land and claiming them left and right like they were for us. But then they don't know what to do with the New Testament. Anyone who wants to live a, live a godly life will suffer tribulation, persecution. If we suffer with him, we'll also reign with him. That's not in the Old Testament. They always won the battle. They never got thrown in prison. They never got their heads taken off like James in Acts. Am I correct? That's another gospel. But it's used, notice, it's, uh, Martin Luther said, the hardest part of rightly dividing the word of God is rightly dividing the covenants, the old and the new. I grew up around just people picking verses out of anywhere. But I've met, you know, been helped by new converts who told me, Pastor, Jim, Pastor Simba, I'm reading in the Bible. Is it true that all the Christian farmers in California leave their land fallow on the seventh year and don't plant anything? Because I did some checking, and all of the farmers that are Christian, they plant every year. But the Bible says explicitly, and God told Moses, teach all of these commandments. They must obey all the commandments. On the seventh year, you leave your ground fallow. And is it true after a woman has a baby, she can't come to church for a month or two because she's unclean? Because that's in the scripture. God... Why are you laughing at me? That's in the scripture. Am I correct? Is that in the scripture or not? Well, why don't we enforce those? And here's another one. Anyone curses his mother or father, stone them. We'd lose a lot of our young people in our churches, right? Did God not say that? Look at me. Look at me. Be serious. Be serious. Did God not say that? Did God say that? Didn't God say to Moses, make sure the people obey? But that was to those people. That's not me. I'm not an Israelite. I'm not living over there. I'm a Christian. And unless the thing is mentioned in the New Testament and reinforced and exampled in the New Testament, it has nothing to do with me. And Jesus went further, in case you think I'm liberalizing the whole thing. He said, it's written, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, if you look at your brother and say, you dirty rat, and all that, you're a murderer. You look at a woman the lust after, it's just as if you slept with her. But we have to rightly divide this or else our people are going to get totally confused. And women shall not wear garments by, by, you know, a man's garments. And I see a bunch of you women are disobeying that by wearing pants today. Here. But you go over to China and you go over to Japan and they want to know why our national uniform is we wear loose-fitting pants. Why do the women in America want to show off their legs and be more attractive sexually like that? You see, different folks, strokes for different folks. So I was de determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For our gospel came to you not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with great conviction.
I close with this. Great conviction does not mean, in that Greek sentence, the conviction on the people, although that happened. It means Paul saying, you know when I spoke, I wasn't giving you a sermon. I was giving you my life, what I banked my life. People always know, like you have sized me up in these times that we've been together. You were already trying to discern, and you're all judging me. Does he really believe what he's saying? Or is he just here to sell some books and get an offering and then get out of town? You're all doing that because we all do that when we listen. Does it resonate? Paul said, you know, it came with power and deep conviction. I wasn't telling you about some sermon. I was telling you about the Jesus who changed my life, who I walk with, who I spend time with, who I talk to, and he talks to me, and he leads, and he guides me. And that name has never lost its power. It's stronger than any drug, habit, any anything. And brothers and sisters, last sentence, we're... Um, Ron just told me this thing. I didn't know the name of it. I had heard about this. What a day that we should be preaching Jesus. To all of you pastors, let God search all of us on this. Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Not be an evangelist, because he was a pastor. But do the work of an evangelist. So how much of your prayer time and our efforts and our talk in the church is to do evangelism and spread the good news of Jesus? Or is it circle the wagons and hold on to the folks we have? You, you gotta answer that to God like I have to answer that to God. How much, I just was praying this morning, oh God, you gotta do something in, in, in New York City where, where we are, we gotta be more effective in spreading the good news. So Ron told me yesterday, and some of you know this, so the fentanyl now that they're putting in the synthetic heroin in this opioid crisis, this thing is crazy. I was up in New Hampshire. New Hampshire, Pastor Gary. It, it, it's like the South Bronx back in the 60s, people dying left and right. West Virginia, I have a son-in-law who came from West Virginia, has come from West Virginia. One county there, they busted it, had like a million pills sent to it. There, there aren't even 10,000 people in this little county. And, you know, stuff going on. But so, so fentanyl is like a 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin. And now they're using this, I want to pronounce it right, carafentanyl, carafentanyl, which is 10,000 times stronger than heroin because it is laced with what they use to put elephants to sleep when they shoot them with darts. It's an elephant tranquilizer. They're putting that in a drug and humans are taking it. So brothers and sisters, no time to sleep? No. Whatever we do, we got to win someone for the Lord. We got to win somebody for the Lord. We got to help somebody. We got to be open, though, to everybody. Jesus, would you help us, please? Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, subscribe today on your mobile device to get exclusive new content from Teen Challenge of Southern California. For more information, visit us on the web at teenchallenge.org.